to be here with you all tonight. I am your host, and you're listening to WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. I hope everyone is having a great night. It's now time to enter the late night madness. The first thing that we're going to talk about in the world of sports is the MLB. We're going to talk about here the New York Mets versus the New York Yankees game. So, it all started with the bang. In the first inning, Stanton homered to left center field, going 408 feet. And the New York Yankees answer at the helm, 1-0. Now, later on in the first inning, the New York Mets have always been the person, the team that has trailed to the New York Yankees inside of the state of New York. And it was Nimu who hit a homer to right center field to answer the New York Yankees 429-foot homer. Right after that, in the first inning, we had the New York Mets who didn't stop scoring there. No, they did not. Batty, single to center. Alvarez scored and Linder went to third. Now, on to the second inning. The Yankees at this point in time did not score. And the Mets going into the second inning were up 2-1. And it was McNeil who singled to left. And Kana scored. And Nemo scored. So the Mets got off to a huge lead after two innings. The New York Mets were up. Four to one. Now we're going to go on to the third inning. And it was consecutive. Yes, it was the New York Mets. They kept going in terms of getting batters to hit into the actual field. And it came down to it. The Mets had base runners on. So we're in the third inning. Kanah. Grounded into a fielder's choice to third. Marte scored. And Guillermo out at second. But Batty went to third. And that's exactly what happened. The New York Mets at this point in time in the game were now up 5-1 to one through three innings. They captivated a huge lead. But you know that the New York Yankees are a kind of team. They face adversity and they will give you everything they got on a nightly basis. So when we head into the fourth inning, we had LeMayu, who homeward to left center field, cranked one right over the fence, 396 feet. And it was Anthony Rizzo that scored. So at that point in time, the Yankees, Get a quick two runs, and it's now a five 
two, three ball game. But no, it was a huge inning for the New York Yankees at this point in time. So the Yankees, later in the fourth, Volpe doubled to left, Kyra Falafa scored, and Higashoka also to third. So the Yankees now make it a 4-5 to five ball game. And the hit parades keep coming. The scoring parade is completely coming down on the Mets at this point in time in the fourth inning because the Yankees don't stop there. Bowers, single to right. And Haiga Shokia scored. And Volpe scored. So now this became a 6-5 to five ball game. When at one point in time, earlier in the third inning, was a 5-1 to one game where the New York Mets were in command of this game, sure, did not look that way. They gave up a lead, the Mets, just in one inning in the fourth. And the Yankees are now up 6-5. to five. And as we head to the fifth inning, the New York Mets come back and they answer the helm. So Guillermo signaled to left and Batty scored. So now it's gotten very interesting. The ball game is now tied up at 6-6 through five innings. And it was when we went to the sixth inning where the New York Yankees really put it together in that inning. Donaldson hit a sacrifice fly to right. McKinney scored. And Volpe to third. And that's where the New York Yankees pick up their seventh run of the game. And that's when they take the lead 7-6. to six. And through the game, there was no more runs. So that, in that sixth inning is when it became the last score of the game. It was then... From here on out, a pitcher's duel, and yes, in the battle of the Big Apple, it was the New York Yankees who took this game by the score of 7-6, to six. and yes, you guessed it, they took them to the bank. So in this next game that I'm going to be talking about in Major League Baseball is the Colorado Rockies versus the Boston Red Sox. So, the scoring starts in this one when we get into the third inning. The Colorado Rockies answer with the emphatic third inning. Diaz, double to center. McCann. McMahon scored. Profar scored. And Tofar scored. So, it was a huge third inning for the Colorado Rockies. Getting up to a 3-0 lead. So when we go into the fourth, the Rockies keep their hit parade alive. And we're dominant at this point in the game through four innings. Doyle level, Doyle doubled to left. Grichuk scored. And Castro went to third. So at this point, the Colorado Rockies are now up. Four to nothing through four innings. But no, this is when the Boston Red Sox come back. They're back against the wall. 
It was Raphael Devers who homered to right for the new for the Boston Red Sox and Tumor scored. So the Red Sox make it a ball game. It was a four to two game through four innings. Now when we're on to the fifth inning, we had the Yankees who really Okay, stop there. Now when we went on to the third, we had the Boston Red Sox who kept their scoring coming. And they got momentum in this game in their comeback trail. So Turner singled to center. Reyes scored. Yoshida went to second. And Verdugo was thrown out of home. But through five innings, yes, it was the Boston Red Sox at one point in this game, just an inning for four. They were down four nothing. It all it took was an inning and a half, and now it's a four to three ball game. And now when we head into the sixth inning, the Boston Red Sox answer again with another run. Arroyo hits a sacrifice fly to center. Duvall scored. So now it's a four to four ball game. To the sixth inning, and they come back for the deficit being down four nothing just two innings ago. This game got very interesting. It went on to extra innings. Now we're in the tenth inning. The Colorado Rockies answer. Grichuk doubled to left. Jones scored, and Montez scored. So now this became a two-run tenth inning at that point in time. Up 6-4. to four. But no. The scoring did not stop there. The Colorado Rockies putting their foot on the gas pedal. Profar hit a sacrifice fly to center. And Grichuk scored. So it was a three-run rally for the Colorado Rockies in the 10th inning. Making it a 7-4 to four ball game. But then, later on in that inning. Yes, you guessed it. The talented infielder for the Boston Red Sox, the slugger, Rafael Devers, homeward and cranked one to deep right field for a 410-foot homer. It was a two-run homer, making it a 7-6 ball game. But that's all she wrote, folks. At that point in time, Boston gave an incredible effort. But yes... You guessed it, it was the Boston Red Sox who did not get it done. And so, the Colorado Rockies win this game with a score of 7-6. to six. So into the night we go, you're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, the key in Newton, Georgia. The next sports story that we're segueing to is a Cinderella story of the Oral Roberts NCAA College World Series birth. You don't want to miss it.
The Baxters have a new first book. From number one New York Times bestselling novelist Karen Kingsbury, author of life-changing fiction, comes The Baxters, a prequel. The heart-pounding story of Carrie Baxter's wedding. Amidst family tension and the worst storm Bloomington, Indiana has seen in a decade. The Baxters, by America's favorite inspirational storyteller, Karen Kingsbury. Visit KarenKingsbury.com for more information. The Baxters, available now wherever books are sold. I'm pretty handy around the house but now that i have kids i don't want to spend my saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner but thankfully there's home advisor home advisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project you can read reviews of the pros check their availability even book appointments online and what my wife loves most is that home advisor is completely free to use go to homeadvisor.com or download the free app to get started home advisor Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, the key in Newton, Georgia. And now we're going to talk about this story with Oral Roberts and their NCAA dreams in the College World Series. So, no. The number one national seed, Wake Forest, was expected to make it to the Men's College World Series. But Oral Roberts, not so much. Yet it's on to Omaha for gold for the Golden Eagles, who certainly looked the part of a team deserving to be among the final eight in the NCAA tournament. So after going on the road and sweeping through the regionals, and then winning three ga- the three game super regional against Oregon, Oral Roberts University is the lowest seed to reach. The MCWS since Stony Brook in 2012. Now this feat, everyone, is reminiscent of Oral Roberts University's run to the Sweet 16 in the 2021 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. But now, the team from the small evangelical school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, will head to Omaha, Nebraska, to play TCU on Saturday at the Charles Schwab Field. So Old Roberts, only other MCWS appearance was in 1978 when the team was known as the Titans and played as an independent. We're going to let it fly here in a week, says Coach Ryan Fulmer. So after this team's 11-6 win on Sunday night, 
they knew they had a good club coming into the year. But coach thinks we continue to get better and better and better. And we're playing well at the right time of year. And that's all that matters, peaking at the right time. So we get an opportunity to keep playing. And that's pretty fun. Oral Roberts University has never been an easy out in the NCAA tournament. But this team, at the low major summit league, has overachieved against big money baseball schools. The Golden Eagles were a number four regional seed and beat Oklahoma State, Washington, and the likes of Dallas Baptist to advance to play in the Pac-12 tournament championship against the Ducks. So after blowing an eight-run lead and losing the Super Regional opener, ending the 21-game win streak, they rallied in the ninth inning for a walk-off victory Saturday and came back Sunday to knock out the Ducks. Oral Roberts University and TCU are are joined in the MCWS field by the number one national seed, Wake Forest, number two, Florida, number five, LSU, and number seven, Virginia. The 18 field will be complete after a pair of games, threes a Monday. At that point in time, Tennessee had played the Southern Mississippi and Texas had visited Stanford with both teams looking to make the third consecutive trip to Omaha. Stanford's Quinn Matthews threw 156 pitches and had 16 strikeouts. Both very impressive and career highs. It's not very often, folks, that you see these incredible numbers because what happens is when you get into the pitch count realm of right around 100, before that even happens, they the average pitch count usually goes into around 85, 90 pitches. Then you take your pitcher out. But when you send a guy out there for 156 pitches, that's practically like throwing two complete rotation of games. 16 strikeouts, well, that's 16 batters. And that would mean that he struck out the opponent nearly twice through the batting order. But back to what we're talking about here. So... The first career complete game, and the Cardinal scored three runs in the ninth to break open an 8-3 win over Texas. So Matthews, who has thrown at least 100 pitches in 15 of his 17 starts this season, very, very rough on the rotator cuff and the shoulder and getting rest on the arm. He scattered eight hits and a walk to get the win. Wilkin hit three homers in Sunday's game, increasing his total to an ACC record 70 in his career. Wake Forest is headed to the NCWS for the first time since it won the national championship in 1955. And the Demon Deacons will bring the hottest offense in the country. The Demon Deacons tie the NCAA tournament record with nine home runs in their super regional clinching affair. 22-5 and five win 
over Alabama, and they are the first team since LSU in 1997 to have won four tournament games by double digits. So it was at that point in time that the Cinderella story of this team that we call the Oral Roberts University Ball Club to getting their birth that they rightfully deserve. So, into the night we go. You can't miss it. When you really need something to get you through a long graduation ceremony, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are there to give you a thrill. With varieties like Trolley Sour Bursting Crawlers, the worm's soft and chewy texture, surprising flavor combinations, and neon bright colors will give everyone a reason to celebrate. So when you want to notch the festivities up a couple degrees, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are the perfect way for everyone to celebrate. Shop now for any trolley that crawls your way. This is Austin Black, and I am the host of Behind the Tunes. Have you ever wondered about the stories behind your favorite songs and the journeys of those that sing them? Well, each week, we invite you to go behind the tunes and step into the stories behind your favorite Christian artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Hey everybody, this is Andy Crispin. Join me this week for worship as I play two hours of the best in modern worship music from churches and worship leaders around the world. And this week, my special guest is Blake Goss of New Spring Worship. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I'm making ways in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For us, that scripture came alive because he did a new thing actually in an old place. You don't want to miss a moment of this week's worship with me, your host, Andy Crispin. WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key. Home of Southern Sports and Talk. Noonan, Sharpsburg, Franklin. Welcome back. You're listening to Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, The Key, in Noonan, Georgia. The next, the next sports story that we're going to talk about is about the world of tennis. The French Open. So, what we're about to recap is a little piece of history. History was made at Roland Garros on Sunday as Novak Djokovic won a record 23 Grand Slam titles. And this was his 23rd. The most of any man who has ever played the game. The sport of tennis. Djokovic was 30, is 36 years old and became nervously trailing at, three, at 3-0 and 4-2 in the first set. But with the weight of the occasion seemingly heavy on his shoulders, his feet unusually off balance. But as so often in his career, Djokovic dug himself out of a trouble and then pulled away in familiar style to win 7-6, 6-3, and 7-5. As Rude's final forehand landed wide, Djokovic 
fell to the clay and it in dramatic fashion on his back, soaking in applause and his nostalgic crowd looking at him. After taking the congratulations for Root, he sat for several seconds before going into the crowd to celebrate with his family and support. So emerging with a jacket with 23 emblazed on it, it's no coincidence that he would win his 23rd title here. And what Djokovic has to say, this has been the hardest tournament for me to win throughout my career. Djokovic said after, I am beyond fortunate in my life to win 23 Grand Slams. It's incredible feeling. Djokovic is the oldest man to win the French Open. And his third Roland Garrios crown moves him ahead of Rafael Nadal to 23 Grand Slams level with Serena Williams and one behind the all-time leader, Margaret Court, whose career spanned the amateur and professional eras. He is now halfway to the coveted calendar year, Grand Slam. Oh, and Monday, he will return to the number one ranking on the ATP Tour. In 2009, when Roger Federer overtook Pete Sampras, then the record of 14 Grand Slams, it seemed like the chance of anyone else getting this close was slim. What Djokovic has done in reaching 23 and counting is unparalleled in the men's game. Providing he stays fit and motivated, he has every chance of setting a record that will never be broken. Here's how history was made Sunday. Djokovic shakes off early tension. Djokovic has been talking about the prospect of breaking the men's Grand Slam record ever since he won for the first time in Paris in 2016. But on on Sunday, he looked nervous in his first set, but he pulled all the way through. Many players can match this kind of intensity. But Nadal and Federer, over a set or a set and a half, Doing it this long to clinch victory is close to nearly impossible. With the roof, despite a forecast of rain, under this much duress, this makes the conditions even harder to win this much. So he had a better start. His tactic of getting the ball up above Jovic's shoulder, paying early dividends, but Rudd could not keep it together. And Djokovic missed, hit a smash long, an extended lead. But all in all, it was the footwork of Djokovic who put it together and his willingness to put through an incredible win indeed. So Novak Djokovic becomes a record holder with this Grand Slam win in the French Open. And it is truly an incredible story that he put something together. So, as a seven-time champion, Djokovic will head to Wimbledon full of confidence again, chasing what would be the third leg of the calendar year. So, a win there would also see him equal 
Federer's men's record of eight Wimbledon titles. So even before he beat Rudd on Sunday, he was already allowing talk of him emulating Rod Lever in 1969 as the only man to win all four slams in the same year. So if that happens, that he will lead, he will head to the U.S. Open in the same position as he was in 2021, where Djokovic was one match away, losing out to the nil Medvedev in the final. So as he likes to say, anything is possible. Like the Kevin, like the great Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. And Novak Djokovic pulled this one out and claims his title and his seat on the legacy of tennis. How do you make the most of your land? Everyone has their way. The Nelsons depend on their John Deere Gator XUV 835R to get from point A to point B with decoys and the dogs. As much as we got going on, it's all about efficiency. And if you ask the Mosers what they use their Gator XUV 590M for, they tell you. The most fun we have on the Gator is just repping around the property. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at Deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer. I'm pretty handy around the house, but now that I have kids, I don't want to spend my Saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner. But thankfully, there's HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project. You can read reviews of the pros, check their availability, and even book appointments online. And what my wife loves most is that HomeAdvisor is completely free to use. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app to get started. HomeAdvisor. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about cars. And I don't really mind keeping it that way. This, it's cool. I called CarShield before my car broke down. Thanks to CarShield, I don't have to understand anything about what's broken. Because plans can pay for repairs on up to 6,000 parts of my car. Leave fixing cars to the experts and call CarShield before your car breaks down and maybe save some money for once. It's a thought. Call 800-579-6554. 800-579-6554. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy, because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1. The key at a Noonan, Georgia. The next story that we're going to be recapping of the night is the NHL Stanley Championship game between the Florida Panthers and the Las Vegas Knights. So here we have it. We're in period one here. And with 11 minutes and 52 seconds to play in the period, tensions rising at this point in time. It was, going into Game 5, it was a 3-1 to one series lead for the Las Vegas Knights. So the Florida Panthers knew they had to get back into this one. They had to tighten up their defense if they had any chance in this game. 
with their slim hopes of putting together a comeback. What what, what was an incredible season for the Panthers was tough. But here we are in the first period, 11.52 remaining, and Mark Stone scored a short-handed goal unassisted for the Las Vegas Knights going up 1-0 in the first. Then about two minutes later, with 13.41 remaining in the period, through the period, it was Nicholas Hagu who scored. This now was assisted by Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marchessault. This became a 2-0 lead for the Las Vegas Knights. So that was a big lead after one period. That's like equivalent to, I'd say, with football, everyone where you're up two touchdowns. So that's like the equivalent to how much they were up after one period. Now as we go into the second period, uh, the Panthers show some life and finally get on the board. So through two minutes and 15 seconds in the period, Aaron Ekelblad had a goal and that was assisted by Nick Cousins. So this became a two to one game. But this became a very crucial period. And through ten minutes and twenty-eight seconds in the period, this is when the Las Vegas Knights start pulling away. So Alec Martinez had his had a goal, and the Las Vegas Knights at this point in time were up 3-1, again assisted by Jack Eichel, who had a second assist in the game, and Alex Petrangeli, Jello, Alex Petrangelo also had assist. So, 3-1 game at that point in time, then about two minutes later, it was the Las Vegas Knights who showed exactly why they were on the way to a potential Stanley Cup championship. Riley Smith had a goal. And now this became a 4-1 to one ball game. This was assisted by William Carlson and Shea Theodore. 4-1 to one ball game at this point in time. Then we go five minutes into the period in period two. So this was 17 minutes and 15 seconds into the period. The Las Vegas Knights, they keep rolling over the Florida Panthers and they yet scored another goal. So the Las Vegas Knights take it to a five to one lead. At this point in time, Mark Stone had a goal. He was assisted by Brett Howden and Chandler Stevenson. 5-1 game. But no, they didn't end there. They kept the momentum coming. And so, the Las Vegas Knights, with, almost, with nearly 
a buzzer beater in the period through 1958. They scored yet another goal. And Michael Amadou Amadou had six, six. They made it a 6-1 lead. That is almost, you can't comprehend this. It's astonishing that they can let up this many goals in one period. And although the Florida Panthers had a very good run, it looked like even through an outside perspective, when you're down 6-1, to one, it is almost impossible to come back. That's like being down four touchdowns. That's like being down 28 points in basketball. Whatever analogy we would like to call this thing. So it's a 6-1, 6-1 game. And then they're going into the third period. And through 8 minutes and 22 seconds in the third period, the Las Vegas Knights did not stop scoring. They kept it coming. And Ivan Barbashev had a goal. He was assisted by, once again, Jack Eichel, who had a hat trick and assists in the ballgame, and Shea Theodore, who had another assist. So at this point in time, the door has been blown wide open in this game. The Las Vegas Knights were up 7-1 at this point in time in the game. But the courage of the Florida Panthers said we will not retreat. Regardless of being down this much, we will not give up. And so they show some life. So, through 8 minutes and 47 seconds in the period, the Florida Panthers did score. Sam Reinhardt scored, and now that's their second goal of the game, he was assisted by Sam Bennett and Brandon Montour. So now, the 72 game, Florida Panthers have a fighting spirit. It's exactly what got them to this point. It's exactly what got them to the playoffs and through all the different series to get to this Stanley Cup championship series. And then, so now it's 7-2. And now, through 11 minutes, 39 seconds in the period, Sam Bennett scores a goal for the Florida Panthers. 7-3 ball game. He was assisted by Gustav Foros. Forsling, and Sam Reinhardt. So the Florida Panthers show that we shall not retreat and we should give it everything we all on the ice. So it's a 7-3 ball game. And then about a minute and a half later in the period, 14.06 through the period, it was the Las Vegas Knights. That scored this goal. That put everything together in this win. So Mark Stone had a goal. It was unassisted. And it was an empty netter. The Florida Panthers tried to put 
more players on the ice, giving them an opportunity to try to have a man-up situation. But taking out the goalie, this is what happens. And the Las Vegas Knights did score a goal, 8-3. And then, to cap off this last scoring play of the third period and the Stanley Cup Championship, the Las Vegas Knights, 18 minutes and 58 seconds through the period, it was the Knights that, yes, this unbelievable stat, nine goals in a game, unreal performance by the Las Vegas Knights, Nicholas Roy scored. He was assisted by, again, Shea Theodore and Brandon McNabb. So that's how the series gets underway. Confetti in the air for the Las Vegas Knights. And the Las Vegas Knights win the last game of the Stanley Cup 9 to 3. As a Florida Panthers person since I was a kid and going into the arena, I have to give it to this Las Vegas Knights team. They came out firing on all cylinders. And yes, they take their Stanley Cup victory and put themselves amongst the other winners in the history books by a score of 9 to 3. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location. 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A here in Noonan. Same great taste. The best chicken around. Fish dinners. Open Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine in. Take out. It's Wishbone Fried Chicken. Right next door to their former location. Bringing you the best chicken around. So great. Wishbone Fried Chicken, 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A, here in Noonan. Got mold? Call the Mold Man. Specializing in crawl space and interior mold remediation, encapsulations, and basement waterproofing since 2019. The Mold Man team takes pride in keeping your family healthy and your home mold free. Visit our website, themoldmanllc.com, to schedule a quote or give us a call at 678-227-9763. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of The Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's funnest sports talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is. You've never heard a show like it because we make the listeners a part of the show. Every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE. Braves Country is a Southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1, the key. Out of Noonan, Georgia. 
And now, we're going to talk about what's going on in the NFL offseason minicamps. So, now, we have the story on what's going on in Jaguars camp. So, the storyline to watch here is more along the lines of Calvin Ridley. So, Coach Doug Peterson is having only rookies and some select veterans returning from injuries at the three-day camp. The broken foot, Ridley, in 2021. So the last year he played, he healed, but the Jaguars want to take things slow with the receiver so he can be full go at camp. Getting a few more days can only help Ridley as he continues to loan the offense. Now on to the next team and what's going on in OTAs and camp is the Kansas City Chiefs. Storyline to watch here is their wide receiver depth chart. So the Chiefs have a lot of wide receivers in legitimate competition for playing time and roster spots. But Kadarius Toney, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, and rookie Rashi Rice. So they look to the top four, but there's room for others to make the team and catch some passes. The real competition begins at training camp, but the Chiefs can begin the process of sorting through their candidates to make their roster and get some playing time on this very crowded Kansas City wide receiving depth chart. And that will be remain to what we see. Now on to the next team in camp, Los Angeles Chargers. The storyline to watch here is coordinator Kellen Moore's offense. So quarterback Justin Herbert has made progress in his recovery from the offseason, left shoulder surgery. But despite throwing in individual drills during organized team activities, it remains unclear to what extent he'll be able to participate in for the mandatory minicamp. Nevertheless, minicamp should provide a glimpse into a revamped offense under first-year coordinator Kellen Moore. So who who is expected to install a scheme that creates more explosive plays and establishes a dependable run game to help coordinate uh, a Justin Herbert affair to his receivers? Now on to the next camp we go. The Los Angeles Rams. The storyline to watch here is tackle Aaron Donald and the young defense. So Aaron Donald, a three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year award winner, will be navigating a challenge unlike any other. So he has faced, in his previous nine seasons, after an offseason that saw the departures of the likes of outside linebacker Leonard Floyd, linebacker Bobby Wagner, and cornerback Jalen Ramsey. It's a question mark. All three of these guys are the different layers of the defense. And if you know anything about having the right guys, it's an onion. It's a revolving place where everyone has to have a cohesive bond at each level, which is what is a tough part for Aaron Donald to look for in building his defense. So the only defensive starter with three or more seasons of experience left to teach and set an example for for a dizzying list of young pros who must quickly learn the scheme 
and to compete at the highest level. And that's exactly a question mark of what we're going to find. Now, we're on to the Minnesota Vikings camp. The storyline here to watch is about Brian Flores' defensive scheme. The Vikings hired Flores to fix a defense that last year was lackluster, ranking only 31 in yards allowed last season, but they didn't buttress himself with many personal upgrades. They did bid farewell to six starters and backfilled with one significant veteran replacement, cornerback Byron Murphy Jr. So the shape, size, and scope of their turnaround will largely depend on the Flores' blitz-heavy scheme. Minicamp will provide observers their longest look to date at Flores' plan. Flores, will he come back and show what he has as a coordinator? That's what remains to be seen with his lackluster Minnesota Vikings defense. So now we're on to the New England Patriots camp. Storyline to watch here is wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster and his status. The Patriots essentially flipped Jacoby Myers now with the Raiders for Smith-Schuster, who signed as a free agent from the Chiefs. But Smith-Schuster has yet to take the field in voluntary OTAs as the team takes it slowly with him health-wise. Smith-Schuster has been around the team this offseason, but according to coach Bill Belichick, everything is geared toward the start of the training camp in late July. Seeing Smith-Schuster on the field for at least the walkthrough portions of mandatory minicamp practice will be an indication where things are and where the progressions of the team. Now on to New Orleans Saints camp. The storyline to watch here is about quarterback Derek Carr's chemistry with his pass catchers. So don't expect much out of receiver Michael Thomas until training camp, but Carr could start to build a rapport with running back Alvin Kamara and tight end Taysom Hill, both of whom were not at OTAs. And while receiver Chris Olave has been in attendance so far, more time on the field with Carr will be beneficial and needed for the Saints to improve their offense, who only ranked 19th last year. That's what we'll see throughout camp. The next team that we're going to talk about in this camp is the New York Giants and their depth chart. So it seemed pretty clear during OTAs that tight end Darren Waller is destined to be the Giants' number one pass catcher. The wide receiver position remained murky, even with Sterling Shepard and Wandale Robinson rehabbing serious knee injuries. So there are a lot of names in the mix. Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton, Jalen Hyatt, Colin Johnson, and Jameson Crowder. Among these that will put together the wide receiver core of the New York Giants. Let's see where they stand and where they're battling this out. And the last team we're going to be looking at right now for OTAs, this minicamp, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The storyline to watch here is the quarterback battle between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. 
The quarterback position between Mayfield and Trask will remain the trajectory of the team, considering the fact they got huge shoes to fill when they had Tom Brady. But the first overall pick in the 2018 NFL Draft is trying to resurrect his career in Baker Mayfield. And Trask was selected in the second round of the 2021 NFL Draft. So we'll see who's going to be the starter. It's going to be a late outcome, duking out through OTAs in the preseason. But we'll find out. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home. Offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like bed bugs, German roach, and flea control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control. Repair. Bond. Best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control. 34 Jefferson Street, Newton. 770-954-9941. Want to give back to your community in a meaningful way? Cares for Kids is a Keller Williams Realty-founded charity in which 100% of money raised goes directly to children in need in our area. Cares for Kids helps fund local organizations like Angel's House, Coweta Casa, Elevate, and more. Help Cares for Kids reach their mission of serving 1 million children. Call 678-634-9770 today to learn more on how to be involved or text k for k Noonan to 44321 to donate. This week's property of the week is located at 688 Cheatham Road in Griffin, Georgia. This 32.14 acre tract is waiting to find its new owner. This property features a three bed, two bath home built in 1890. An 18 by 28 utility shed ran with its own power and water, fencing for horses and other livestock, and timber such as pine, oak, and pecan trees. Call 678-634-9770 for more information. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key out of Newton, Georgia. And now we're going to be talking about music news. First, I have a story about a rock and roll legend. So for more than six decades after their formation, Paul McCartney says the final ever Beatles song is on its way. Thanks to the miracle of modern technology. So speaking to the BBC Radio Force today, Sir Paul said that he has been using artificial intelligence to extricate John Lennon's voice from an old demo to complete the untitled track. So that is unbelievable. A guy who came from a time period, time capsule, that was back in the 60s and had made an incredible career, is one of the highest ranking artists slash bands to ever eclipse the billion dollar uh, annual income mark, really puts it in perspective here. So we'll take it back to where it all began 1964. 1964, he was part of a band 
called the Beatles. And they truly changed the dynamic of rock and roll. And they had put together some of the best music in that era and all the way through. But they just finished up, and it was released this year. He said of the untitled song that the BBC speculated could be a 1978 Lennon composition that they restructured called Now and Then. The single was reportedly in the running to serve as a reunion song for the 1995 Anology series, which included two new songs based on demos recorded by Lennon after the group split, 1995's Free as a Bird and 1996's Real Love, produced by ELO's Jeff Lynn. So those tracks were the first new Beatles releases in more than 25 years. But McCartney... McCartney reportedly received the demo for the new track from Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, in 1994. But the song was one of several on a cassette labeled for Paul that Lennon made shortly before his murder in 1980. The BBC reported that the tracks were lo-fi and embryonic and mostly recorded on a boombox by Lennon on a piano in his New York City apartment. So the BBC reported that the living members of the band tried to record apologetic love song now and then around the time of the analogy release, but abandoned the sessions in short order. It was one day, one afternoon, really messing with it. Lynn said the song had a chorus but is almost totally lacking in verses. We did the backing track, a rough go, but McCartney later said the guitar singer George Harrison refused on Now and Then, saying the sound quality on Lennon's vocals was rubbish, but George didn't like it. The Beatles became, the Beatles being a democracy, we didn't do it. The BBC reported that there were also reportedly technical issues with the original due to some persistent buzz from electrical circuits in Lennon's apartment. The new version of the demo reportedly popped up on a bootleg CD in 2009, minus the background noise. But in 2012, in the BBC documentary on Lynn, McCartney said that one's still lingering around, so I'm going to nick in with Jeff and do it, finish it, one of these days. And while it is still unknown if that song is the one due out, the BBC reported that technical advances employed during the making of Peter Jackson's Get Back Beatles documentary series. So during which dialogue editor Emily Delaray trained computers to recognize the Beatles' voices and separate them from background noises, including the instruments, allowed the team to create clean audio. That same technology also allowed McCartney to sing a virtual duet with Lennon on his most recent tour. I just would like to say to everyone, thank you for tuning in tonight, and thank you WQEE to put together such a wonderful show. Everyone, get home safe. 
you had a great night's sleep and have a great night. Take care, everybody. Put one of those hash browns at the end, you know, like hash brown team Cobra Kai or something. And then send it to the internet! <laughs>